We'll be in John chapter 9 this morning. Uh, first, I got news this morning and thought it was interesting, thought I'd share it, but uh, Dorcas Riley, the inventor of the green bean casserole, passed away this past week. Yeah, so flags at churches across the country are half-mast today. I mean, you talk about a potluck hero. I'm trying to imagine life without green bean casseroles. The world would just be a little, a little sadder, I think. So RIP, 92-year-old Dorcas Riley. Daniel Pink wrote a best-selling book called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And Pink evaluated a lot of research on when it is helpful to be a little bit late, a little bit behind. In the world of sports, this is not a surprise, whichever sport, you name it, at halftime, the team that is ahead has a better chance of winning the game. That doesn't surprise us. But researchers from Penn and from the University of Chicago decided to look at 18,000 NBA basketball, basketball games and study who was ahead at halftime and kind of statistical analysis of the different scores at halftime. And yes, no surprise, teams that were ahead tended to win with one statistically significant exception. A team trailing by just one point at halftime ends up winning 58% of the time. And that is statistically significant. They then took that idea to the world of college sports. They studied 46,000 NCAA basketball games, and that statistic held up. They concluded this. Being slightly behind at halftime one point behind, significantly increases a team's chance of winning. Interesting. There is something about just being the right amount behind that sends that team out for the second half with a little more focus, with a little crisper execution, with a little more intensity. Losing at halftime is not good with that one striking exception. John chapter 11. By all appearances, Jesus is a little bit behind. In fact, it is a point which John makes several times as we work through the story. It appears that he showed up late in the story. So we go to Bethany, a little community just outside Jerusalem, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. There we find the home of Martha and her siblings Mary and Lazarus. They were very dear friends of Jesus. That home served as a sort of home base for Jesus when he was doing ministry in Jerusalem. It served as a sort of retreat center, a getaway from the pressures of the Jerusalem religious scene, and Jesus would, would escape to that home many times. They were dear, dear friends. Lazarus was sick. The girls send word to Jesus, urgent word. They knew that if Jesus got there in time, that Lazarus would be healed. 
Now, Jesus is in a different geographical region of the country, so it's going to take some time for word to get to him and for him to get to Bethany. Now, just we're going to kind of step away a second because I just find this interesting this morning. You go to John chapter 11, and all of the principles, all of the main players in John chapter 11 happen to be single adults. It's interesting. Jesus, of course, single adult. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, single adults. Um, And in fact, if you just broaden and start looking at the New Testament in general, single adults were incredibly important to the mission of God in the first century. You find these happy, joyful, well-adjusted, highly valued Single adults doing amazing things for God in the first century. In fact, fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 verse 10 suggests that it is better to remain single than to marry. Paul, another single, Paul and John the Baptist, other notable single adults in in the New Testament story. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 8 that, Again, it's better to remain single. So, let me just say this. I think it's important to stop every once in a while and just kind of point out something that's in the text that maybe we would just pass over. It's good to be married. It is just as good to be single. It is, it's just as viable of a place to do life, uh, to be a single adult. And I say that to... Uh, with the backdrop here at Preston Crest, what an amazing group of all ages of single adults we have at this church. Amen? We do. And I am happy to be part of a church where single adults play such an important role in the life of the church. Anyway, so Jesus gets word, Lazarus is sick. The messenger reaches him, and Jesus responds by saying, all of this is happening for the glory of God. He says, the illness, verse 4, of my friend Lazarus will not end in death. Then John, our storyteller, says something that really gets attention in verse 5. He tells us how much Jesus loved Lazarus. And he tells us that while Jesus got this news that his friend was very sick, Jesus was in no hurry to get to his bedside. Jesus, far away from Bethany, will wait for 24 hours. We'll wait for another 24 hours before he moves in the direction of Bethany. It's interesting. The disciples think they know why. The disciples around Jesus uh, think they know why. Uh, Jerusalem is a dangerous place. There are people, people in power, that would like to do harm to Jesus. And they believe, perhaps, that Jesus is being prudent. Let's stay here. Jerusalem is dangerous. In fact, Thomas, interestingly, Thomas says, guys, if and when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, let's go with him so that we might die with him. So they understand that Jerusalem is a dangerous place. Finally, after 48 hours, Jesus says, guys, let's head toward Bethany. And he suggests that Lazarus is asleep. 
and I need to go wake him up. And it's interesting you're reading the text, and the disciples think, that is an odd thing to point out. I mean, Jesus obviously has, has this prophetic vision, but why would you tell us something in, as insignificant as Lazarus, miles away, is taking a nap? They didn't realize he was talking about death, right? And so they arrive at the outskirts of the village. I don't know that villages really have outskirts, but let's say, you know, kind of edge of town there. And they arrive at the outskirts of Bethany, and they're informed that, in fact, Lazarus has passed away, that his life has ended. He's already been in the grave for four days. Um, looks like Jesus is a little late. Martha hears that Jesus is near. She runs off to talk with him. And hey, good friends, real friends, you're honest with each other. You can be your true self with a good friend. They can be their true self back with you. And so Martha just lays out her disappointment here in verse 21. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. If you hadn't shown up late, we would not be mourning the death of my brother. And Jesus replied, your brother will rise again. And Mary responds, well, obviously the last day when there's the resurrection of the dead, my brother will rise. But what about now? Our hearts are broken. You could have done something about this. This isn't the time, Jesus, to start giving a theological discourse about the end times. And Jesus calmly looked her in the eye and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, sometimes Martha gets kind of a bad rap. There's the story in the Gospels of Jesus coming over to their house as he did. And Mary is sitting at his feet drinking in the words of Jesus. And Martha's off in another part of the house doing other things like chores and getting things ready. And Jesus kind of rebukes her, says Mary has chosen what is better. So she kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. But let me tell you this. She really comes through here. She has a truly extraordinary faith. In fact, I would suggest her vision of who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about is more crystallized and accurate than any other disciple in the New Testament. I mean, Peter gets close when he makes his confession of faith. But listen to what she says in verse 27. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who was to come into the world. Wow. In a world where the disciples seem to be constantly confused, Martha gets it. She knows who he is. She rushes back to Mary. She says, Mary, the Lord 
is coming into town and he wants to speak with you. John tells us that, that Mary got up quickly and headed off to meet Jesus. The other mourners, lots of other mourners surrounding them at this time, they follow Mary, assuming that she's headed back to the tomb again to do a little more crying, and they're going to surround her and comfort her. But she's not headed there. She's headed to Jesus. And she comes to Jesus, and she says the same thing Martha said. She says, Lord, if you had gotten here, my brother would be okay. I'm sure some of you have shared that same sentiment with the Lord before. Lord, if, you, if you'd gotten here, if you'd showed up, that, that drunk driver wouldn't have crossed the center line. If you had gotten here, that disease would not have ravaged the body of my loved one. If you had gotten here... I wouldn't have lost my job last week. Lord, if you had only gotten here. Martha and Mary model for us that it's okay to be honest with the Lord about how you feel. To share your disappointment with God. Lord, if you had gotten here, verse 32, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw his friends weeping. He saw their broken hearts. In verse 33, John tells us he was deeply moved and troubled. Where's the tomb, he asked. And they led him to the tomb of Lazarus. Verse 35, Jesus wept. There are 31,173 verses in the Bible. About 400 years ago, a Frenchman named Robert Stevens took the text of the Scriptures and divided it for us into chapters and verses, and for reasons known only to him, when he got to John chapter 11, he allocated exactly two words to verse 35, Jesus wept. Can you in your mind's eye imagine, can you see Jesus weeping? Can you hear the Son of God sobbing? You know, we believe, as we see in Scripture, that Jesus was 100% human. And He shows us, He models for us what it, what it looks like to live a truly human life. To, to be what you are supposed to be as a human being. And I wonder, you know, all of these years later, we're here in the 21st century, technology, fast-moving pace to the world, all of the things we have discovered. I wonder if this peasant from Nazareth, this rabbi, does he still have anything to share with the world? He never wrote a book, never went to college, never traveled all that far from home. Does Jesus have anything to say today? He still shows us what it looks like to be a human being. 
pulling up next to his friends, entering into their grief, sharing the burden with them. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, his humanity spills out and he weeps. At other times in the gospel, we see that humanity and Jesus is tired. Jesus bleeds when the nails go through his hands. He's human. We see Jesus hungry at other times and they got thirsty. But at no point is he more fully human, in my opinion, than, than when Jesus wept. John chapter 11. When God had a good cry. Gathered himself. Gave the order, verse 39, take the stone away from the entrance to the tomb. But Lord, verse 39, Martha is like, but Lord, the body has been in there for four days. The body is beginning that process of decomposition. There are some times when the King James Version just gets it a little bit better. And it does here in verse 39, King James Version, Lord, by this time he stinketh. That's what it says. By this time he stinketh. Maybe we shouldn't roll that stone away from the entrance of the tomb. Jesus said, prepare to see the glory of God. Roll the stone away. And he looked to heaven. He says, Father, I know that you hear me. You always hear me. But for the benefit of all of these people. And then he turned his, his gaze from heaven to the entrance of that tomb. And he said in a loud voice, verse 43, Lazarus, come forth. And out of that place of darkness... Stumbling out of the stench of death, this man wrapped in grave clothes, a burial cloth over his face, comes stumbling out of the tomb. Something like you might see this week from a trick-or-treater knocking on your door. The crowd was speechless, dumbstruck, in awe. Who does this? Who goes to the local cemetery and walks up to a mausoleum and says, Come out of there! Jesus does it. And for all the mourners, this singular, awesome, amazing moment to be celebrated occurs. Lazarus comes walking out. Now, if we're totally honest... There's one person at this scene for whom this is not a celebration. Lazarus, he's been in paradise. He got upgraded. He was in the first class cabin, and then the commander, Lazarus, I need you back in economy. <laughs> it wasn't a good day for Lazarus. Poor guy, everybody's jumping up and down, celebrating, and he's like, seriously? back to this world and for Jesus we see at the end of chapter 11 this sealed his fate 
The religious leaders will hear about this very soon. And they will gather up in their Jerusalem power circles. And they will decide together, now is the time Jesus has to die. These crowds have been following Jesus. He's been working these miracles. The, the multitudes are, are growing exponentially. And imagine what's going to happen now that people know he can raise the dead. Rome does not like popular movements in the countries that she rules. Rome likes the provinces to stay nice and quiet and Caiaphas the high priest of Israel wonders if that tenth legion is not going to be unleashed on Israel to put this down he says in verse 50 paraphrasing Jesus needs to die it's better that one man die than the whole nation and Jesus, actually, it's interesting. He's giving us a prophecy about Jesus. John kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit, and he says this is a fulfillment of prophecy because truly Jesus, one man, is going to die for humanity. And from this point forward, verse 54, Jesus is going to have to be very careful about showing up publicly around Jerusalem. So according to his friends in Bethany, Jesus shows up late. Sometimes the Lord's timing, it's not our timing. And that's one of the hard things as a disciple. It is learning to wait on the Lord. Not a passive waiting, but a trusting waiting. A leaning into His love and His wisdom. And when you're at a moment like that, I love the words from Lamentations. When, when it seems like the Lord has shown up late, these words from Lamentations really speak. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so that is a posture that doesn't come naturally, but we wait. We choose to wait because we trust in His love, because we are friends of Jesus. And we believe, despite appearances, He will come through. The day of salvation is coming. And so I just put down a few things out of this text this morning for us to do when it looks like the Lord has shown up late. The first one is this. It's just, it's just to know this. I know the truth that he stands with me as I grieve. Jesus suffers with me. When your heart is broken, Jesus suffers with you. Know that. He wants to carry the burden with you. And then know this. I remember that his death changes everything. Not only did he, does he suffer with me, he suffers for us as well. By His death, we have the forgiveness of sins. 
By His death, we have the hope of heaven. I love what Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 9. By God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone so that many sons and daughters may be brought into glory. And then finally, I confess Him as the resurrection. His suffering frees us. His suffering gives us hope that death is not the end of the story. And Martha does just that. She confesses her faith in Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And the fact that He suffered and that He bled and that He died, it signals He was a person. He was 100% human. He has gone through what we go through. God decided to be wrapped in human flesh so that He could move into our neighborhood and He could love us better. And the fact that He was raised on the third day, unassisted, came walking out of His tomb on the third day, that tells us He has the last word when it comes to death. He is the resurrection. He is the Son of God. 100% God. The early church coined a couple of phrases about Jesus. One of them was that Jesus is the Christus Victor. He is Christ the Conqueror. And then they called Him Christus Imperator. Christ the King. And when we grieve, Christ the King is right there with us, wrapped in His humanity, mourning with us. And when we die, the one who conquered death, the Christus Victor, is waiting to call us to life. His voice, when His voice calls, no one living or dead, can resist it. When Jesus says in John chapter 11 that a dead man is asleep, that's pretty much what a dead man is to Jesus. It is no different for him to raise a dead person or wake a two-year-old up from a nap. One is not more difficult than the other. When you're dead, you're dead. When the clock runs down, it's not halftime, but it's the end of the game. Zeros, it's over. With one exception. It's over unless Jesus is involved. It's over unless Jesus shows up. The most important question you or anybody else on this planet will ever have to answer is the question Jesus asks Martha there in verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that He is the resurrection and the life? That through His death for your sins, His burial, His resurrection, do you believe that you will one day be raised to eternal life? Do you believe this? Do you believe that when you are heartbroken and you are devastated and you are mourning, do you believe that Jesus is there with you? Do you believe this?
This morning you can put your faith in Jesus, confess Him as your Lord and Savior, be baptized with Jesus, turn from that old way, repent, and come into the way that Christ has laid out for you. You can do that right here, right now. Or maybe you just need someone to pray with you. Just come talk to me or one of our shepherds or somebody sitting around you right now and say, Hey, I got this going on. Would you pray about this? Would you pray over me? However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and worship.